As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Cradle, Book 11, Dread God, Chapters 13 and 14. In these chapters, Yaren and Red Faith go up against Red Moon Hall way faster than I was expecting. Also, the Silent King and the Titan are coordinating now. I don't like this at all. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Andy for commissioning this episode. So, y'all, oh my god. All right, I'm going to start with Yaren because I want to start talking about the Silent King, of course, and I am not going to do it because I can't be trusted. So I'm going to start from the beginning. Um, Yaren is hiding at the bottom of a scripted, basically dry well so that Red Moon cannot track her, apparently, and also can't track Red Faith, even though he doesn't stay down there with her. So she rightfully is sort of like, I don't understand how this like works for him if he isn't in here with me. And what we find out in this is, and, and we've known Little Blue is not coping super well, but I didn't quite realize how much she is having more trouble than I really thought. I think that she was, you know, nervous. I, I, I was interpreting it sort of like excited, scared, and it's really turning out to be just more scared, scared, just straight up. Like, I don't really want to do this. And Yaren has to sort of push her a couple times and at one point thinks that Little Blue is actually like turning around and running back, which is not what was happening for the record. But I understand why Yaren was starting to be like, I don't know if she's even going to do this. Um, and I really enjoy the reminder that she had been afraid of Ruby and it had hurt Ruby more than she wanted to admit. But Little Blue had stood up to it when necessary. And I really appreciate that reminder because when you go back and reread, Little Blue being so afraid of Yaren is really upsetting to like go back to a time before Yaren had earned her trust at all, before 
it had been made clear that she was like able to control things at all. And Yaren is so obviously like hurt isn't even like an adequate word exactly. It's almost like because little blue is reflecting back what Yaren feels about herself, like this loathing, it's poking at a particular spot that's so tender already that it's just mean, you know? And I know little blue doesn't intend it that way, but it's, it's just getting at a soft spot that Yaren has. And since Yaren has so few that can be exploited particularly easily, Yaren has plenty of insecurities, but it's, you know, she tends to be aware of them and sort of defend against them mentally in a way. And that was one that she just never really was able to break past. So I just always like on the reread, I'm so sad for her. And I appreciated that being mentioned again, what a big deal it is that little blue is being sent with her to this place of all places, you know, um, excuse me. So she says, you're strong enough yourself these days, aren't you? Little blue spread her hands out and gave an uncertain warbling whistle. Hey, now you can't compare yourself to Lyndon. That's a tilted scale. If there ever was one. You've got to keep your eyes on your own path. And I just really appreciated the idea that Little Blue, who is so connected to Lyndon, and who, by the way, Lyndon owes a great deal, feels inadequate in comparison to him. I don't... It's not that I don't understand where she's coming from. But truly, he just straight up would not be where he is. If he did not have little blue, it wouldn't work. He would have died of his fucking black flame by now, you know, like it would have been bad. Um, So I just want her to be more prepared to take some credit here. And just overall, I want to reiterate something that I think can get lost a little over the course of the story. And I don't mean that in terms of the writing exactly, because Will White actually makes sure that Lyndon references all of this within his own thoughts a lot of the time. But Lyndon gets a lot of credit for being kind of a prodigy. And while we know that there is truth to the fact that he is in such control of his Madra, which is not super common, and we know that he does have an incredible work ethic, a drive that just pushes him to train every time he has any spare moments. It is so important to remember how much of where Lyndon is today is because that he got lucky repeatedly, really lucky. You know, Ethan just happened to be in the desolate wilds and spotted him and if I hadn't been in Ethan's head when it happened, I might have thought Ethan knew Lyndon was going to be there and came to find him. But we're in Ethan's head and he stumbles across Lyndon by accident and is drawn to him because of his like clear eagerness and excitement about the sacred arts and his like un- sort of unflagging enthusiasm. So he gets set up with somebody right out of the gate who is extremely powerful beyond anything anybody even knows. But even if you took that away, he was still hugely powerful as an underlord patriarch. He stumbles across little blue on the way out from the, the school, taking her with him complete accident that he has her. He goes through the, uh, the black flame trials and manages to do everything with orthos which was something that Ethan like had access to that happened to line up so well with what Lyndon could already do and that was sort of external Lyndon wasn't out here researching and finding out about that himself and again this is not to discount that Lyndon works super hard but 
again, he goes to the fucking pocket world that North Strider creates. And when he's in Ghostwater, it's like unlimited treasures because the place is abandoned. He drinks so much of these elixirs that are absolutely priceless. And it just happens that he was the one to go through the portal with Renfei. It could have been Yaren and Mercy going with Byro, but that's not how they divided it up. It was solely chance that got him there. And I really appreciate the check-ins that we get, both with being in Athens POV and Suriel's point of, view, point of view, to make sure that we know they're not out here like moving him around like a chess piece, making sure he's getting the, the best opportunities. These things genuinely seem to be chance. So he gets set up with all of these situations and he absolutely makes the most of them because he works hard. But luck is just a massive factor. And I just want to remind us all of that because there are times where people have a real inferiority complex when they're comparing themselves to him. And he has had unparalleled good luck after getting out of Sacred Valley. And I do not hold that against him at all. And there's no person I would have wished this luck to more than Lyndon. He put up with a lot being mistreated for how he was born. And he works incredibly hard and has a heart that is bigger than anybody deserves. The fact that he wants to go back and save these assholes to begin with shocked me. So I am really not trying to take anything away from him. But I want it to be very clear that being a hard worker alone wouldn't have gotten him here. It all was due to the various bits of incredible luck that he stumbled into either by accident or because he knew somebody who knew something and they hooked him up. Um, because, you know, it's just, it's something that as I have gotten older and wiser, I was told a lot that if you just worked hard, you would be successful and started to really wonder in my mid twenties, I work really hard and I am not successful. I can barely cover bills. I don't have insurance and I would blame myself for it. And then came to really realize that's not actually the world. You really do have to get lucky. And I, with the podcast in a lot of ways, I did. I like got really lucky in a couple of small ways that have gotten me to the point where I could make it a career. But it was kind of circumstantial. It was not because I happened to be like exceptional or have a, you know what I mean? Um, so I just like to sort of bring us back down to earth with that every now and then. And it's also part of why I really feel so strongly about the choice Will made to have Yaren beat Linden in their fight in the Uncrowned King tournament, because I know a lot of people were mad at the fact that Linden didn't win, but Yaren had been training nonstop with her willpower because of her blood shadow from a much younger age. And she had been training with the sage for years and years before she even met Lyndon. So yeah, he gets a lot of advancement and he is able to get to a point where he is a genuine match for her. But it would have bothered me if he was able to win when she had just gotten such a head start on other types of training before him. So anyway, I just I was really thinking about this a lot recently, especially with the reread and realizing how many things he just sort of backed into while trying to do something else and wound up getting really, really lucky. Um, so <laughs> M. Shard says, even Suriel didn't think there were good odds of him reaching a monarch back in Unsold. Yeah, I think she said it was like 12%, something like that. Um, <laughs> Rob, though you are exceptional. Thank you, Rob. Uh, 
three yeah three judges influencing fate combined with his skills and mindsets yeah and like they're influencing fate but one of them influences fate to make the dread god rise 30 years ahead of schedule so that's actually kind of a bad one but you know what can you do um M. Hunt says, plus an incomparable mind spirit who enhances Linden. Exactly. Like, and he stumbles across Dross. And yeah, he saw some value there. But I have a hard time believing that another person stumbling across Dross. That's not to say that they would have had the skills because he was a soul smith or was beginning to be. So he figured out how to like put Dross to good use. But I could see somebody else managing to do something with Dross as well if they had just happened to hear him talking it was just nobody was down there um so yeah it's just it is this all he wouldn't be where he is without his hard work either you know I'm not saying that doesn't count for anything it's absolutely crucial he could have had all of these advantages and he would simply have been extremely talented it wouldn't have added up to him being the force of nature he's turning into without the hard work. But you just can't ignore those factors either. Um, so all that to say that uh, poor little Blue trying to sort of compare herself to Lyndon and feeling inadequate. She hasn't like she is in a situation where she's with good people and she's like teamed up with Lyndon in a great way. But I really wish that she wouldn't compare herself in any way because she is not really in the position to even have this kind of luck because she's a spirit. So she isn't quite independent in the way he is like she is, but she's so small and she is actually pretty fragile still before things happen um, that I don't know what she really would have been capable of completely on her own at all. Um, so she is hiding in Lyndon's soul space as uh, this person drops in with them, Khan Mala, the arch lady with her shadow in the shape of a cobra. And it took me a minute to remember they meant blood shadow, not just like shadow shadow. And I, this woman, I don't know if we have met her before and I have forgotten, but she sounds pretty dope. And what is going on here? First of all, we get an amazing line as she comes in and Yaren says, bright and warm welcome to my dirt circle. You can help yourself to some dirt. That killed me. I swear to God, I like snorted out loud. Um, But... Red Faith, I love the dynamic between him and Kanmala and the way that Yaren is watching Kanmala's reactions to him and is like, oh, yeah, this woman has had to deal with his bullshit before and she knows how to handle him because she's sort of like giving all of the things he says this really heavy like credit and and respect in a way that doesn't feel genuine. And it's unclear to me how much Red Faith can tell she's faking it. Because Red Faith seems like much more aware when we're in his head than he makes you think by the way he speaks. So part of me is like, I think he, maybe he does know, but it doesn't really matter whether she's sincere or not, so long as they have the conversation they need to have. So he can just ignore it, you know? Um, and essentially what he's asking is like, how many people are on my side? How many people are smart enough to see that the fucking bleeding phoenix is not a god how many people are understanding like the reality of the situation and she says uh everybody's bummed that you left and there's a lot of people who are believers and are pissed about what you said but then there are people who are not believers and they just don't quite know enough to bail entirely they don't want to like abandon the herald even with their doubts because you don't have any support. So like, what's the appeal of going over to you? Um, and Red Vaith is like, God damn it. I really hoped that we would be able to like fuck it up from the inside. But it sounds like we can't do that. And I'm going to have to fight him, which I guess was always going to happen eventually. But I can't do it in there. 
Do you know of a way we can pull him out? And Yaren is like, oh, shit. So he knows that his followers allegedly, not really his followers anymore, would stab him in the back. And she's like pleasantly surprised by that. I love this. Yaren looked from one to the other, wishing she had some food. She supposed she could open her own void key and grab some, but the mood didn't seem right. I wish she had, though. I really, really wish. Um, so she says, the most I can do is weaken the script to allow you inside the hall's defenses. But I am concerned that a battle between the two of you will result in the destruction of the sect. We don't have much time. I'm afraid Red Moon has already been in contact with the Bleeding Phoenix. And Red Faith is like, oh yeah, he has. He knows already. The transport of the Hall will begin in less than a day when Red Moon has gathered enough power to supplement the Dread God's transportation. The Phoenix will summon you to its side where you will be its drones, no better than those who bow before the Silent King. And uh, she seems to really fully believe this. You know, she's like completely on board with his explanation of what's going on. And it's just like, God damn it. I guess we're doomed. And I love this. She, he, when she says we're doomed, he basically is like, I can't believe you don't trust that I can get us out of this. We will fuck him up. We are going to ruin his damn life. We are going to put it. And he like goes off and just starts to completely lose coherence and choke on his words. And I love the way that he says this. Place your lives into my hands and I will spend them well. And Yaren is off to the side like, bitch, can you not phrase it like that? You're basically saying, I'm definitely going to do something that will result in all your deaths, but it'll be worth it in the end for like other people. So you're welcome. <laughs> and he just doesn't hear himself. You know, he is. Oh, my God. It's wild. He can be like so self-aware with some things and then at other times you're like dude hello how are you this dense really um so basically Yaren she she has to like kind of convince her and is like you have to know I hate your sect so I'm not going to pretend I don't but y'all can't be working with the phoenix like I am I will help you ruin this dude just so that you aren't continuing to work with it and the arch lady says are you going to work under the sage afterward and Yaren just is like <laughs> fuck no absolutely not and Kanmala finally is like alright look here's the deal I don't know how much to trust either one of you I want to be able to say you have my back and I can have your back. But you don't have any interest in working under him afterwards. So there's no reason for you to keep faith with him beyond a certain point. And he is obviously willing to like toss us all to the fucking wolves if necessary. I need you guys to not abandon us immediately and completely screw us on like as soon as we succeed. Um, and... After the transition of leadership, don't sell us out and act as though we're all members of your sect until we're safe. In return, I promise the same loyalty and safe passage. And she's trying to make this oath and fucking Red Faith says, I have no intentions of betrayal. I am not like that rat, Red Moon. I strike only when it is in my own interests. Garen wasn't sure what her own face looked like, but the arch lady was trying very hard not to show her expression of disbelief to the sage. I strike only when it's in my own interest, so I don't know why you don't trust me. Red Faith. Babe. Bloody, bloody babe. What are you fucking saying? Do you hear yourself? I mean genuinely you talk about logic and rationale and then you say this inverted bullshit it, it's nothing you're undermining your own sentence in the middle of it 
Do you hear any of the words you say? What are you doing? What? How did you get this far, even? What? Like, genuinely. Ugh, I swear to God. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like with him, do you guys remember that part when uh, Mira is yelling at Daji and she says, I don't know how you've made it to Underlord. I don't know how you survive getting out of bed in the morning. That's kind of how I feel about him sometimes. I'm just like, how have you made it this far when you are so bad at so much of this? But he has. So finally, she's like, you either make this uh, deal and oath or I leave. And he does finally. And then Yaren's like, God, I was sort of hoping he wasn't going to do it. But all right, I guess I will too. So we get the jump to the attack, which happens so much sooner than I thought. It happens a lot sooner than Yaren thought also. And she's really a little bit freaked out by this, more so than she would expect. Uh, she figured the sage would keep his word. She was prepared for the mission, and Lyndon's worrying had left her with about 14 backup plans. Only now, sitting and waiting, she felt the burden of what they were about to do. She still had her preparations, but what if they weren't enough? What if this whole thing was a trap? Just because she couldn't see a way around a soul oath didn't mean a sage couldn't. Yes, she had several ways to escape and a few to call Lyndon, but what if those didn't work? And I love this. At this point, he's like, so we haven't had a chance to talk. And she's like, you never shut the fuck up. And he's like, from sage to disciple, like, come on. And she almost interrupts him. And then she's finally like, all right, but he is a sage. Let me just hear his advice. Your compassion holds you back. Red faith clawed at the sky. It is a vulnerability, a weakness that will one day destroy you. Only in cold logic and reason can the future be found, and only thus can you unleash your full power. I love that he's clawing at the sky while he says this, that really just cherry on top. And all I can think here is Yaren, he is stuck where he is. He had a really apparently good theory going with how a blood shadow could merge that worked thank you great job i don't think she should take his advice any further nothing beyond where she is can he advise her on really weird structure to that sentence and i acknowledge it but in general whenever somebody is like you have to leave compassion aside there are times where compassion should factor in far less. Sure. But saying that you should just deal in cold logic and reason is in and of itself illogical and unreasonable. If you try to function with only reason and no emotion, you are ignoring the human factor in whatever it is you are trying to deal with and plan. And that is only going to ruin your day. The human factor is there, whether you like it or not, whether it's because of you yourself or because of people that you're dealing with. And if you try and pretend it's not there, it will let you know it is one way or another. So just factor it in. It's just a fool's errand to act like you can totally separate those two. It's no better to be totally logical than it is to be totally emotional. Emotion is seen as an inherently like weak aspect. And logic is seen as inherently powerful. And it's, that is such a false dichotomy. They are, each of them, as weak and powerful as the other, depending on how you're coping with a situation. And it, nothing makes me crazier than people who are just like, well, you're getting, you're, you're trying to bring too much emotion into this argument. If I'm not bringing emotion into something, why am I caring about it? Logic without emotion is, is a computer. 
and that's not what we are. That's, there's no point to that. So anyway, just had to say, um, Emic Shard says, compassion is one of the main things that lets us grow as a species, like arms that are good at throwing sticks and power walking. I don't know why power walking got me so, oh my God. But I mean, like, that's true. And there's like been, I had a big talk about this with Miles in an episode of Mistborn, I think. But there was some like anthropologist talking about the beginning of civilization And she said that civilization began when we decided to help each other instead of leaving each other behind. And her description of the beginning of civilization was when she started to find evidence that ancient peoples were binding one another's broken broken bones and wounds and assisting them with keeping up with like a nomadic tribe because they would have left them behind at one time. And moved on and been like, you can't keep up, sorry. And when they stopped treating people that way and put their resources together to care for somebody who couldn't care for themselves, that was when they began to grow. So what I'm saying is, fuck Red Moon. He's so wrong. Not Red Moon. Well, fuck him too. But Red Faith is who I mean here. Um, so this fight... <laughs> I was also initially Yaren basically like sneaks up on this dude with her, her moonlight bridge stabs him in the back and he breaks into a bunch of pieces. And she's like, that's really, that was very easy. And I thought the same thing. Like, is that it? And then she hears a bird song. Her head throbs and time reverses and it's the fucking bleeding Phoenix pulling him back together again. And the bleeding Phoenix, because he has contacted it, we find out later that his body, Red Moon's body is serving as a sort of like weird conduit. And if they are able to break him enough they break that connection but in the meantime the bleeding phoenix which is working to defend him can't isolate its power solely on red moon so every time it makes a move it absolutely levels everybody uh, like in the sect red faith is the only one that's able to like stand and move at all everybody else is laid out and she is able to sort of get up to her knees at one point i think is the most she can do but fucking red moon even is like face in the ground he manages to come back to life but he isn't in control of himself the way that i'm sure he was hoping um (laughs) and I love when the Sage of Red Faith just says down and he just face plants into the deck. <laughs> that's just that was so undignified. That is really embarrassing. Um, and he says, I will surrender my authority to no one, not to you and not to the Phoenix. He drew himself up and pointed, die. And Yaren is watching him basically develop a hell of an autoimmune disorder right on the spot and he's trying to push back and again the bleeding phoenix steps in and red faith at this point collapses the phoenix is really starting to get serious about it so the the everybody is like fucked up yaren's head feels like it's about to split And finally, she's like, blue, blue, babe, it's time. Real sorry, but I need your help. And Yaren, in her heart of hearts, is like, I could escape. I could get out of here. It would really hurt, but I could use the Moonlight Bridge. But I am not interested in just bailing. I want to win. And she can help. So finally, blue comes out. 
looks like she's going to go for him and then turns and runs back, which means Yaren has this like, oh, come on, no. But it turns out she just forgot the spear, which she has to drag. This is so funny. I, I, oh my God, I'm just trying to imagine what this would look like. And it is hysterical. So she shoves the spear into him and it doesn't even break the skin. But little blue fills it with pure madra and it like breaks the defense on his side, pushes through. And then the blood madra pours up it and kicks her away from the spear like a horse. And she is purple because she is just so loaded up with it. Uh, and the spear falls away from Red Moon, but the injury does not heal. And this injury causes the pressure to lift a little bit. And this is when both Yaren and the Sage are like, oh, okay. So his body is the thing that's like linking it here. So if we deal with that, then we're done pretty much with the Phoenix's influence here. And uh, she gets the spear. She stabs it deeper into him and like stomps on it and begins pulling all of this power out of him into her channels. And I'm over here like, oh, shit, is she just going to like level up right here? No, the blood sage basically body checks her and is like, no, he is mine and grabs the spear and pulls it into himself which I can't be too mad about because it turns out like he's as pale as he is because the blood shadow like pulled so much power out of him evidently. So he is going to need some of that back to be better. I think is part of the deal, but Yaren is like full up anyway, as it turns out, she doesn't need any more. So she's like, yeah, take it. Go ahead. And she sort of tries to help with her will, uh, help Little Blue cycle all of this madra that she has taken in. And of course, the like blood madra, she can't really use. So that has to be expelled. And her power begins to grow. And we find this is really interesting. Red Moon had essentially been a spirit so advanced that he had grown his own human body. A portion of his power was the best Blue could hope for, and Yaren felt a depth to the Riverseed soul she'd never felt before. It was hard to rate that strength exactly. Yaren had felt something similar when she was raising her blood shadow. Little Blue had become more real, denser, more substantial. So, yeah, Little Blue is, like, absorbing some of the power that he had that made him real and uh i'm really interested to see what happens with this or if you know if anything it, she may need to like grow even more for this to manifest in a, in a way that's real noticeable in terms of like her performance in a fight really is what i'm thinking but we will see um so the the next chapter 14 is in Moongrave and everybody is getting ready for the fight with the Titan. And I knew guys, I knew this was going to fucking happen. And I will tell you why we're talking about the scripts, all of the defenses, the boundary fields, and there is a specific mention there were massive scripts beneath the walls to defend against each of the dread gods specifically, but it was too expensive to keep them all powered at once. The wandering Titan couldn't attack their minds, for instance. So why power mental protections? It would only drain their defenses later. And I was like, oh, oh, you bastard. Of course, of course, this dickhead is going to show up and just completely shit on their whole plan. So... <laughs> This, long story short, the Titan 
which is known for coming at a very slow kind of like, what's the word I want? Rambling pace. I mean, he's called the wandering Titan. This bitch is sprinting, which I just feel like that isn't allowed Right. I really isn't there somebody who can step in and be like, nope, blow a whistle, red card. You're going to you can't sprint, sir. That is distinctly out of bounds. Not the rules. You can't do it. This bitch is running. How can he? What the fuck? And. I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here because we also have this bit where like nobody knows how to deal with Lyndon because he's super young, but also he's a sage. So some people are like treating him like, well, a sage is a sage. So yeah, he's getting respect. And others are like, you're a kid. Shut the fuck up. Which I do respect, honestly. Like, yeah, it has to be hard when you have three times the life experience of this dude and you're supposed to like kowtow to him. Mm. It would it would chafe. I can't blame them. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I I am going to just read this part. Um, purple light flash in a column that stretched from land to sky. From that light, a crystal titan strode out to defend them from the one made of stone. No matter how he felt about malice, Lyndon had to admit. He cheered to see her standing against the dread god. And I do really enjoy this moment. She pulls a, uh, an arrow back on her bow and manages to layer so many techniques on it so fast that Lyndon is like, Dross, did you catch that? And Dross is like, I don't know if you're really overestimating what I can do or if you're fucking with me by emphasizing that I absolutely could not keep up with that. But either way, no, no, I did not catch that. Um. Which I was like, ah, damn. So this bitch fires this thing and it doesn't do shit for a moment. I mean, I should say for a moment. It just keeps running. And then it skids to a stop. But it was running. So already I'm just like, mm-mm. And he feels malice, panic. And she yells, all forces attack now. And Lyndon is like, why is she freaking out? And all of a sudden he feels space twisting and is like, oh my God, he's fucking calling something. Space begins to crack. The Titan makes like eye contact with malice and smiles at her. I just... I didn't know he could run and I didn't know he could smile. That, again, one of those should be illegal because it's just an unfair advantage. The other should be illegal because it's just mental combat. That's like, that's just psychological. That's not fair either. All of these things are too much. So he taps out. And lets in the silent king. And Lyndon is yelling for them to activate the mind protection scripts. And he is sending this message, but they are not understanding what it is he's asking for. So we have this moment that is, I, I don't remember if we get an exact number of people, but um, trying to find this spot here. He yells for the Archlords to come to him. And uh, they reacted immediately to follow him as he flew downwards toward Mercy. Change scripts. Activate the dream boundary. Void Sage, cl please clarify. I'm like, y'all, clarify. I feel like he was really fucking clear. Clarify what, though? Change scripts. Activate the dream boundary. Hello? He said it. What do you need clarified? You jag. But, but there it is. 
it appears. So he unleashes the hollow domain. His blue-white circle of pure Madra spread hundreds of yards around him, powered by all the Madra and soul fire he could unleash. He caught hundreds of people within it, maybe thousands. Some of the Archlords dodged it, thinking maybe he was attacking them. Some people saw it and ran. But Mercy and everyone in the short tower where she was waiting was swept up in his domain, as were three of the other Archlords who didn't resist or run. Therefore, they were saved from the wave of domination that passed over the entire city. So, maybe thousands. That's not nothing. Good for you, Lyndon. And so that's like the best he can do. And the fucking Silent King... Is like, yo, Lyndon, what's up? I fucking told you, man. I mean, took me a minute, but like, low key. Ha ha. And Lyndon's like, oh no. And then we jump from team member to team member, basically, and see the way it's working out with everybody. So first, we go to Yaren and Red Faith. And uh, I love Red Faith giving this fucking speech to the hall. I'm your leader now. You will obey me as you should have from the beginning. Now you see there are none who can lead you into the future as I can. And that even the Dread God itself cannot stand up to the power of my creations. Red Moon was a dried up husk that looked like a corpse after a hundred years at the bottom of a desert. But she still felt Madra circling in his body. Why'd you leave him breathing? Red Faith twitched. Must you interrupt my... <sighs> Distasteful as I may have found him, he is still a valuable resource and, resource and a worthy research subject. I just love her just being like, yeah, hey, in the middle of his fucking thing. Um, and then he also points out he would have had a remnant. And she's like, oh, word? Okay, I thought the spear would have, like, destroyed his remnant the way that Lyndon's arm does. But uh, definitely didn't think of that. So good looking out. And he has this moment of, again, I can't believe all the shit I've done for you. And you've been such a brat. And this, you're like, oh, thank you. What is your deal? And then they feel the Silent King wash over them. And her construct works like a charm because Lyndon's very good and she's watching him because he's kind of like shuddering and she's like oh boy maybe he can't shake this off and she's got her moonlight bridge ready so that she can run away and then he yells you seek to violate my mind king of dreams stick to softer prey and I was like, honestly, that was kind of badass, like to just yell at a dread god, like, ha ha, didn't work. Fuck you. But it seems like he kind of listened. White rings hovered over the members of Red Moon Hall, not all of them, but all the ones who had been unconscious and roughly a third of those who had been awake. And the largest, brightest ring shone over Red Moon's head. His body floated into the air, and Yaren could feel a new, terrifying spirit reinforcing his own. The herald's eyes snapped open. Motherfucker. That sucks. God damn it. <laughs> he must look crazy right now, being all, like, desiccated. Like, I'm picturing Crypt Keeper, basically, but red. Uh, yeah. No. Mm -mm. Dislike. So then we go to Orthos and he is having this uh, moment. So he's asleep, I guess. And he is getting influenced within his dream to be like, well, maybe you could take over a serpent's grave. Maybe you could just own it. It could be all of yours. I can teach you how to take it. And then the construct kicks in. And Orthos has a moment of like, wait, what was that? And his eyes snap open. And he's like, what the fuck? He found us. How did he get to us here? So he had been unconscious. That's right. Where they fell down. And 
I love when he says, I thought Lyndon was just being paranoid. Zeal says, I don't think he was paranoid enough. And they look up and they realize that the Silent King has managed to take control of all the dragons out here. And they even broke through the time lock circle. So that fucking Archlord is free. Which truly is, again, really rude. Like, it's shit. There comes a point where you're just flipping the board over entirely. And that's not good sportsmanship, man. Like, come on, have some dignity. But he doesn't. He's just going to do it to everybody. And uh, I really enjoy when he's like, I really can't wait for these motherfuckers to be gone. And Zeal is like, yeah, I didn't used to blame them because it felt sort of pointless. But I really hate them now. So last one we check in with Weishi Kelsa. And I love this because this felt like <laughs> this felt like Will White writing a little bit of himself here. She is trying to get work done and she's super tired. And everybody wants a piece of her. Everybody is like, no, 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 but help me, but talk to me about stuff. And looking for pointers she's the sage's sister it's like just the connection that's kind of doing this um and i keep forgetting that she has this like foxtail gold sign which she does not like and she thinks to herself that she's blaming Lyndon for her own inconvenience when he wasn't even the only reason they wanted pointers not only was she the youngest way clan low gold she was also the strongest Lyndon was the reason for that. The remnant he'd strengthened for her gave her Madra that was far denser and better balanced than the rest. But power was no substitute for experience, and she'd never guided anyone through their path before. The only student she'd ever trained, however briefly, was Lyndon himself. And I was like, oh shit, that's true. Like, I just keep forgetting, you know? So, then this voice. Maybe you should go to bed. Why not? You can wake up early and finish then. They'll wait a day. Who else will care if you're a few hours late? And I was just like, oh, shit. This is the voice that talks to you like two days before your paper is due. And is like, look, you really should have started this paper a month ago. But like you do have a whole day left. A whole day, man. It'll be fine. Go to bed. Play a little Animal Crossing. Get stoned. It'll be fine. Oof. Fucking hate this. Hate it. So finally, there's this jolt from the construct, which I appreciate a lot. Her perception isn't the same as everyone else's. And her understanding of what Lyndon was trying to protect her against is not as high level as everyone else's, as is evidenced by the fact that a lot of the protections he gave her, she had just stuffed into pockets and like tossed into the corner. So when this activates, there's no understanding in, in initially that it's the silent king and she's been, she's going, oh shit, does this construct like help keep me awake and active and alert? Dope, nice. This is really good for this moment right now. And isn't getting it. She doesn't sense danger. She's not understanding the attack that's happening. So she's just like, oh, good. I'm awake now. And she starts to work again. And then she feels power and is sort of like, what's that? Because she can feel fingerling outside. She opens the door and she looks out and she's like, huh, there's more people awake than usual. And then she's like, huh, usually the lights come from rune lights and are all different colors, but this light is all white. That's weird. Huh. The dream aura just feels off. What's going on? And then she hears Jai Chen yelling to Jai Long to calm down. I'm getting help. Can you hear me? And she runs in there and he is holding the spear and looking like he is about to attack. Um, 
He had forged a circle that hovered above his head, shedding bright white light on the whole scene. And I'm like, no, he hadn't. He had not, actually. That is not him. And Kelsa is starting to be like, wait a second, something is going on. Finally begins to put it together that the construct helped her break whatever was going on. And he, she starts to untie the construct from her wrist. And I was like, oh boy, because the attack to take them all over, I keep sort of interpreting as an ongoing attack in, in the sense that I'm worried that she takes the construct off and he's suddenly able to take her over. Like, like the attack is sustained and she's just putting her shield down. But it seems like it was like a pulse. She wasn't taken. She can take the construct off. And unless he does another sort of pulse attack, she won't get taken over. I think, um, so she tries to use a ruler technique to break this and it does not do jack shit. It just actually like the halo kind of gets brighter for a second and she's like, motherfucker. So she takes the construct off and she smacks it against the back of his neck. Pinkish purple light flared, traveling through his entire spirit in a moment. His body convulsed. He made a sound of deep pain and the halo blurred. Her construct overloaded and crumbled. And I was like, God damn it. Now it, it you don't have anything, girl. Ugh, so disgusted. Also, it's really interesting to me that Jai Chen isn't taken over by it. And I don't think Lyndon gave Jai Chen a construct. So somehow the kind of Madra she's got maybe like is keeping her from being taken over. I don't know how that works, but she's clearly okay. And unless, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe he did make one for her, but I don't think he did. So really curious about why she is okay um but yeah he uh falls over the halo like flickers and he looks up and says run and the white halo finished forging around Jai Long's head and I was like god damn it shit it came back I was really hoping even though the construct didn't fully work, that it would weaken the hold enough that it would sort of flicker in and out, you know, but it just sort of like slowed it down and it just picked itself right back up again. So I hate this. Yeah. Um, Tyler says she didn't have a construct. I think the king must have chosen not to take her. Huh? It's weird, though, because he's, like, taking the entire city, it feels like. So why wouldn't he take her if he's taking everybody? Because the way that she looks out and it looks like so many people are awake. I wonder why. Well, I will find out eventually because I am going to get to read more. But, yeah, that is where it wrapped up. I really think the fucking Silent King is so scary. He is just really like anything that can do mental manipulation is always going to be exponentially scarier than something that can just do a physical attack. Anything that can do mental manipulation to huge groups of people, that's awful enough. But then he can do mental manipulation to large groups of people from a massive distance. Again, this is like the Titan sprinting. What the fuck? Mm -mm. No, no, that shouldn't be allowed. Genuinely, at this point, like all the monarchs 
really need to be guillotined. I am over it. They are just, they're out here just letting this happen. Get over yourselves. Oh my God. Like, make your own Abaddon then. I don't know how that would work, but just go ahead. Just make a fucking other thing. Join the Vrosheer, for God's sake. Do that. I don't know. But get out of here. So, <laughs> um, people are suggesting emotional damage to Kelsa. Uh, maybe her Madra being weird saved her. Some, that was sort of what I was thinking. Was that, you know, she had had that, like, odd, alive quality to her Madra. That it might be difficult for him to, like, grip onto somehow. Um, Rob says, where do you think it's going to go next? I have to assume we're going to see the like moon grave and the fighting against that because like Lyndon wasn't able to stop everybody from being taken. He was put in a separate place from the rest of the sages on purpose by charity. So I don't know if any of the other sages have been saved by his hollow domain or not. So if the sages have been taken over, that'll be a problem that they have to deal with. Um, I'm assuming Malice is able to resist it. No problem because she's a monarch. Um, so yeah, I figure we have to deal with that. And then the fights between everybody with the people who have been taken over around them, I would guess, which um, part of me just feels a little bit like exhausted at the thought to be perfectly honest of like going through every single fight with every single team member in each of their individual situations. And I have no doubt that will can make that interesting, but it just sounds tiring and a little tedious. So I'm interested to see how he like pulls this off. Um, McShard says Emrys kept him boxed in one area, but they did the place swap loophole. So now he can affect a huge area. And that's why he it's the scariest dread God. Yeah, that swap thing is just. Um, Emrys is like the giving tree, gave her everything to improve the world and got taken out for it. Yeah. And it's like not really made clear exactly what she was educating people on that got her assassinated. But I like to think that she was blowing up the monarch spot about how their presence here was causing dread gods and the monarchs were all like well can't have that and they took her out and she's just acting like she just oh yeah well since i'm sort of like my remnant and not me anymore i'm just uh my memories are scattered and i don't remember that it's the monarchs responsible actually but she definitely does i just really want more of emrys just in general there is so much in these books that could be a spinoff, you know, and uh, it would be so fun. It'd be so fun. But I get that authors often get kind of tired of writing within the same universe for a long time. So I know Will is like releasing a book starting off a new series this year, or maybe like the early next year. I think it's this year, though. And I, I totally respect that. I get it. It's probably really tough to just keep going into the same when you've got other new ideas percolating, but uh, I would really not be mad if he decided to do some short stories with some of the side characters. I mean, like the eight crown empire is fascinating to me. I have said repeatedly that Cassius and his wife are fascinating to me. There's just, I, I would love to have like the POV of one of the elders of the way clan and the, the, changes that they experience having gone from their tiny little insulated world to this massive attack that just changes everything and seeing what that's like for them. We get that to a degree with Lyndon's parents, but they are in a position where he can like help them personally a lot because they're his closest family. And there are other people out here who are not going to get that kind of attention and just sort of have to figure it out. There's just, there's a lot I would love to know more about, but what are we going to, you know, like, Maybe I can, uh, maybe we'll start a commission thing where we can just be like, uh, we raised $20,000 for you to write this thing. Can you just do that? Thanks. Um, Fisher Gesha, MX chart. Good one. Yeah. I miss her a lot. I recognize that to a point 
their power up is so intense that she can't keep up anymore. But I really miss her a lot. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap. But thank you guys again so, so much for hanging out with me. It's been really fun. Thank you, Andy, again for commissioning this. I hope that you guys are enjoying the coverage. And I will be seeing you on Tuesday with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.